0: Good morning. morning. How's it going? I'm going to pray, and we're going to jump into Matthew chapter 5. God, thank you so much for your goodness in our lives. Thank you for your presence. Thank you, God, that at any time, day or night, we can call out to you, and you are present to us, and you hear us. God, as we explore the teachings of Jesus this morning. I pray that you would give us wisdom, discernment, open our eyes and ears and hearts to all that you have. In the name of Jesus, amen. So we're in the midst of this mini-series, the teachings of Jesus, uh, within our big arc, three years with Jesus. And we're exploring the Sermon on the Mount right now, different texts in the Sermon on the Mount. And last week we talked about truth, uh, what is truth? Is Are we living in a post-truth world? Um, and this week, we're going to look at a text starting in verse 38 uh, that some people, uh, or many people actually, call what they term one of the difficult teachings of Jesus. Uh, how do we live these teachings today? So we're going to explore this and, and see, if, is this something that... God is calling us to, and if so, in what way, and how do we embody these teachings of Jesus in our, li- in our lives today in 2018. Jesus says, You have heard it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father <clears throat> you know, turn the other cheek, go the extra mile, love your enemy. Uh, so I want to kind of go through this uh, step by step and explore what is Jesus saying? What, what is he addressing culturally? What is he talking about uh, from the Hebrew law, the ancient Hebrew law, and, and how is he inviting people into a whole different way of being human? So let's start with eye for eye. Uh, so three times in the Hebrew scriptures, uh, once in Exodus, once in Leviticus, once in Deuteronomy, uh, is this law about uh, retribution, basically eye for eye. Like if someone harms you, you get to harm them equally back. Here's an example from Leviticus. Anyone who their neighbors to be injured in the same manner. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Yes! Doesn't that feel good? Like if somebody wrongs you, you get to wrong them back. Uh, and Jesus says, actually, let's not do that anymore. Uh, so Jesus is pushing people a quantum leap forward. Now, why would God allow this command to be given to his people? Uh, here's why. Because God is always inviting people into the next level, in pushing people to a next level of consciousness, inviting people further in their humanity. And in the ancient world, if someone wronged you, what was normal is an escalation of retaliation. You knocked one tooth out of me, I'm going to knock two teeth out of you. Oh, well, you knocked two teeth out of me, I'm going to come back and knock three teeth out of you. And it would just escalate and escalate and escalate. And so what God is doing with his people in the ancient world here is he's actually pushing them forward. He's saying, listen, do not allow violence to escalate. Do not allow retaliation to escalate. Let's just make it equal. Can, can I take you that far? Can we just... If someone knocks a tooth out of your mouth, you you get to take a tooth out of theirs. Can we move to that level? And so God is actually, this command was actually a move forward for humanity to just say, let's level the playing field here and no more escalation of violence. And so when Jesus comes along, he's saying, hey, I've come to actually invite you into a whole different way of being. And, and by the time of Jesus, rabbis started interpreting uh, this Old Testament law, and they had moved it from actual uh, taking a tooth or an eye to uh, monetary restitution, which by and large is a lot of what we still see in our judici- ju- judicial system today. And so uh, rabbi, most rabbis in Jesus' day would say, hey, if someone has harmed you physically, you've got to repay with some cash. Uh, Jesus is saying, what does it look like to move beyond that into a place where you're able to embody the way of forgiveness? Uh, Now, when Jesus says, do not resist an evil person, this, uh, we gotta be careful with this because it can easily be misunderstood or misinterpreted because this word resist in the ancient Greek, in the classical Greek, was a military term, and it, it means to strongly resist an opponent. In other words, Jesus is saying, don't do what everyone else is doing. Don't resort to violence or don't resort to getting even. Jesus is not saying, don't defend yourself. Jesus is not saying, don't stand up for yourself. Jesus is saying, don't resort to tit for tat. Don't resort to getting even. Don't allow anger and resentment to take hold, allow a different way, a creative way forward to take hold. And so, uh, next slide, Jesus is not saying be passive, but is offering a creative way forward of active nonviolence. So Jesus, in his day, is saying, you have heard it was said, and quotes their Hebrew law. But invites them into something further, something better. He's saying, hey, that was good for them them in the ancient world. I'm inviting you into something so much better. There is a way of living, a way of embodying the divine image, God with us. Jesus comes as God in the flesh, and he invites people to live into that way of being in the world. So, Jesus says, If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Uh, Starting this week reminded me of this story. Uh, Eugene Peterson, uh, he's uh, this great pastor, author. He's most well known for his uh, paraphrase of the scriptures, The Message. Uh, Perhaps you have a copy of The Message. Eugene Peterson wrote that. He wrote a number of books. This one's called Christ Plays in Ten Thousand Places. And in it, he tells this uh, great story about his childhood. He was raised in a conservative Christian home. And uh, he, was, he memorized texts like, pray for those who persecute you, turn the other cheek. And uh, when he was of school age, he went to school. And uh, there was a school bully named Garrison Johns. And Garrison Johns uh, decided, for whatever reason, to pick Eugene Peterson as the guy he would beat up every day. And so Eugene Peterson would get beat up every day and he would come home beat up and his mom would tell him, hey, this is just what it means to be a Christian. You churn the other cheek. Uh, And so um, he says, uh, March came one year and I remember it was March by the weather. The winter snow was melting, but there were still patches of it here and there. The days were getting longer. I was no longer walking home in the late afternoon dark. And then one day, something unexpected happened. I was with my neighborhood friends on this day, seven or eight of them, when Garrison caught up with us and started in on me, jabbing and taunting, working himself up to the main event. He had an audience that provided extra incentive. He always did better with an audience. That's when it happened. Something snapped within me, totally uncalculated, totally out of character. For just a moment, the Bible verses disappeared from my consciousness, and I grabbed Garrison. To my surprise and his, I realized I was stronger than he. I wrestled him to the ground, sat on his chest, pinned his arms to the ground with my knees. I couldn't believe it. He was helpless under me, at my mercy. It was too good to be true. I hit him in the face with my fists. It felt good, and I hit him again. Blood spurted from his nose, a lovely crimson on the snow. Laughter By this time, the other children were cheering, egging me on, black his eyes, bust his teeth. I said to Garrison, say, uncle. He wouldn't say it. I hit him again. More blood, more cheering. Now the audience was bringing the best out of me. And then my Christian training reasserted itself. I said, say, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. (laughs) (laughs) And he said it. (laughs) Garrison Johns was my first Christian convert. (laughs) So, how do we make Christians? Uh, Escalation of violence, apparently. Uh, Can I get a male volunteer to come up? Okay, Tom Holmes. Oh, great. Larry, great. uh, Volunteer the cop in the room uh, to come up. I wonder how. Wonder how we should do this. Um, You need to take off your glasses too. Maybe. (laughs) All right. So uh, Jesus says, "If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also." Now we know that most people are right-handed, and so what Jesus is getting at here. uh, There's a theologian and biblical scholar named Walter Wink, and he's done a lot of study on this passage. And, uh, he's looked at the historical context and, uh, the culture and what was going on at the time. And as you know, uh, Rome was in charge, deep Roman oppression over the Israelites. And, uh, many people, the people Jesus are, is talking to are mainly commoners, people without, uh, a lot of means. They're on the underside of power. And so if a Roman soldier came up to them and slapped them, they had to take it. Uh, if their master came up to them and slapped them, they had to take it and, uh, but what Walter Wink points out is, notice Jesus says the right cheek. And so it's most people are slapping with their right hand. And Tom noticed what this is. Yeah, it's a backhand. He's going like this right across their cheek. And Jesus says, turn the left cheek to them also. And what Walter Wink points out is Jesus is not saying just take it. And let them hit you again. Jesus is saying, turn the left cheek. Go ahead and turn your left cheek. Really like now, now now what? I can't backhand them, right? I have to hit them like an equal. And G- what Walter Wink argues is that Jesus is not saying, just take it. What Jesus is saying is show them that they are abusing power. Show them that they are treating you like an inferior And churn your left cheek and say, treat me like an equal. Hit me like a man. Uh, This is Walter Wink's argument. That's great. Thank you, Tom. That's fantastic. So, uh, let's, where are we? The next one. If someone uh, takes your shirt, give them your coat as well. This was also... uh, Uh, command about this in the Old Testament in Exodus. If you take your neighbor's cloak as a pledge, return it by sunset because that cloak is the only covering your neighbor has. What else can they sleep in? When they cry out to me, I will hear for I am compassionate. And so this law was put in place to protect the poor uh, so that they wouldn't be taken advantage of. If they needed to give you something uh, as a pledge, give it back to them so they have it uh, to sleep with. They're talking about very impoverished people here who they're only covering at night is their coat. And again, Jesus is saying, hey, uh, if someone takes that which is yours for pledge, give them the shirt off your back too, to show them how they are taking advantage of you. Uh, next slide. Anyone know who this is? It's St. Francis. Uh, St. Francis of Assisi, he took these commands of Jesus very literally. Now, St. Francis grew up in a very wealthy home. His father was a wealthy merchant, uh, sold silk, uh, hoped that Francis would grow up one day to take on the business. Uh, Francis led a pretty wild young life until he had this experience with God and uh, started following Jesus. And uh, one of the calls that St. Francis felt deeply was a vow of poverty and to give that which you have to the poor. And so Francis went around giving his father's money to the poor. Well, his dad did not like this very much. And so his dad actually sued Francis to to get the money back. And this took place in a church. Uh, Bishop Guido II oversaw the proceedings. And the father was very upset and wanted Francis to come back home and work for him and pay off that which Francis had given away to the poor, and uh, to give, basically give back everything that Francis had given to the poor. And what Francis did was stripped naked, handed his father the nice clothes he had, and walked out the door and went... And started his movement uh, that we know now now know as the Franciscans, uh, and so this was Francis's way of embodying this command. He literally gave his father everything and walked out the door and went to serve the poor with his life. And so, a lot of what Jesus is saying here is allowing is speaking to those who are on the underside of power and saying, help those who are taking advantage of you actually see how they're taking advantage of you. Jesus says, you have heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, which uh, actually the hate your enemy is not a command in the Hebrew scriptures, but a number of people in the first century were, were saying this, that there is the command to love your neighbor, but you don't have to love your enemy. And so uh, because of that, Jesus is saying, you've heard that it was said, hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. Now this, many say, is the most difficult teaching of Jesus. Uh, We continue to live in a world where the idea of eye for eye, tooth for tooth seems right and feels good, doesn't it? Uh, We continue to live in a world where we feel like we deserve to get even, where we deserve to pay back. And Jesus is trying to help us see this myth of redemptive violence, that there is this myth we believe that I will actually feel better if I get back at you. And Jesus is trying to free us from that myth into a whole different way of being. Uh, Next slide. Jesus invites us to be free, to release the offender and forgive. It is the only way to free your soul to be alive. To hold bitterness in your heart is to hold yourself in bondage. So Jesus is not saying, just take it, just allow people to take advantage of you, just allow people uh, to abuse you. Jesus is not saying that. He is saying there's a different way of responding than eye for eye, tooth for tooth. There's a different way of responding that is a creative Nonviolent way forward. There is a different way of being human in the world. When you are wronged, there is a way of freedom that allows you to release the offender. They have to deal with their own stuff. They have to deal with the wrong they have done. But you, you can be free. You can release that and entrust them to God. And you can be free from holding resentment and anger and bitterness. Uh, Scientific studies show us today how the effects of resentment affect us holistically. They affect our bodies. They affect our minds. It affects our emotions. It affects everything about us. When we hold resentment and bitterness, it affects everything about us. But when we're able to release resentment and walk in freedom, it changes us, it releases us, it frees us into a whole different way of living in the world. And this is the way Jesus invites us to be, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Um, This is difficult, isn't it, to actually pray for someone who has wronged you. Uh, This thought, it is very difficult to hold someone in contempt when you are regularly holding them in prayer. Uh, If someone has wronged you, what might it look like to hold them in prayer before God? and to release the resentment, release the bitterness, release the anger. Um, I've said this many times before. I'll continue to say it because I think it's so important for us to grasp around the idea of forgiveness, is that forgiveness does not necessarily mean restoration of the relationship. If you have been abused physically, sexually, in any way, it could be very dangerous to try to restore the relationship. Again, Jesus never said, allow the person to take advantage of you. Forgiveness is different than restoration. I think the goal and the desire in God's heart is always restoration, but there are some circumstances in which restoration just is not possible in this life because it would be harmful and dangerous. And so forgiveness is not the same as restoration. By God's grace, somehow we can forgive those who have deeply wounded and harmed us. We can release them. And they may still be in bondage, but we can walk in freedom and experience the freedom Jesus offers us when we live into the way Jesus invites us to live. Jesus invites us to break the cycle. That's the invitation from Jesus. To break the cycle of the myth of redemptive violence. To break the cycle of eye for eye, tooth for tooth. To break the cycle of tit for tat. To break the cycle of I'm going to get back at you. I'm going to get even. Jesus says there's a better way than getting even. It's the way of love. It's the way of forgiveness. It's the way of releasing the oppressor to God, the offender to God, and walking in the freedom Jesus invites us into. Jesus says that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Uh, This is at the root and core of our identity, that we were created in God's image, that we are God's children, and Jesus comes and shows us what it looks like to live the way God invited us to live. Jesus is God's son, and somehow mysteriously God in the flesh invites us into this way of being in the world. We are children of God. Uh, Notice what N.T. Wright says. He says, if this is the way to show what God is really like, and if this is the pattern that Jesus himself followed, in Jesus we see Emmanuel, the God with us person. The Sermon on the Mount isn't just about how to behave, It's about discovering the living God in the loving and dying Jesus and learning to reflect that love ourselves into the world that needs it so badly. Uh, It would be a mistake to read the Sermon on the Mount as a manual for how to behave. Uh, It's uh, what Dallas Willard calls the gospel of sin management. Uh, Dallas Willard says, this would be a mistake. If we read the Gospels and say, well, it's just, this is how I can manage my sin, is reading the Gospels, reading uh, the teachings of Jesus, and then I can manage my behavior. Uh, We're missing the point if that's how we read the Jesus, Jesus story. The point of the Jesus story is to compel us into deeper love of God and neighbor, to compel us into a better way of living, into the way God created us to live in this world, to to wake us up to the best God has for us. If we read it just for behavior management, we miss the deep love story and that we're invited into this love story, that we were created to live in beautiful, loving union with God and with others and to spread that love throughout the world. This is the invitation Jesus gives us. So in a moment, we're going to come and partake once again of the bread and the cup. And thinking about this text and the cross and what Jesus did for us, Next slide, uh, the, the cross is an act of nonviolence and self giving love in the face of fear, anger, and violence. What looks like defeat at the hands of the powers is the sure and certain victory of God. Th- this is part of the mystery of the Christian life. This is part of the mystery of the gospel is that Jesus comes and turns the tables. Uh, he, he shows us that his kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. It's a totally different way of living in the midst of the kingdoms of the world. That what looks like defeat is God's victory. That, that when you can actually pray for someone who persecutes you, that what looks like defeat, what looks like weakness, is God's love and God's victory. And Jesus came and died on a cross in what looked like sure and utter defeat at the hands of the Roman oppressors, at the hands of the religious elite, was the victory of God for the salvation of the world. And Jesus invites us into this way of being in the world. A couple of questions for us to reflect on this morning. To whom or where, Is Jesus inviting you to be the presence of love where you would rather not be? And secondly, who is it that Jesus is inviting you to pray for that you would rather not pray for? Uh, For for some of you, it's a spouse. Uh, For some of you, it's a child. For some of you, it's a parent. Uh, So for some of you, it's, it's someone who's really close relationally. Uh, for some, it may be a coworker worker or the, uh, that other parent uh, or that other child who bullies my child or it may be a politician who Jesus is inviting you to pray for. Uh, who is it that it's a, a whole lot easier for you to criticize and speak ill of than it is to bless and to pray for. Uh, that might be the person who Jesus is inviting you to pray for. If there is a name that when that name comes to your mind the first thing that comes to your mind are, are thoughts that aren't so pure. Are, are thoughts of uh, oh that person. Uh, that may be a really good indicator of who Jesus is inviting you to pray for. Uh, I can have the next slide. Let's, uh, Let's say these words together. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ is coming again. God, thank you for sending Jesus among us. The gift of his life, the gift of his death the gift of his resurrection, and that we can live into that resurrection life right here, right now. God, I pray that you would give us the courage and the love to bless those who have hurt us. God, these are difficult teachings. I pray that you would help us to understand them more fully and give us wisdom. God, when we think of a person or a group or an organization maybe, and our thoughts do not go first to blessing them or praying for them, I I pray, God, that you would transform our hearts and minds to be a people of prayer, to be a people who bless, not curse, to be a people who embody the love of Jesus wherever we find ourselves. God, as we come and take the bread and dip it in the cup, fill us anew with your love, with your grace. God, we know we cannot do these things in our own power. We desperately need you. We need the presence of your spirit moving through us, compelling us onward in love and grace and forgiveness. So God, would you give us your spirit in abundance this morning? Give us your grace in abundance to be able to give grace to others.